Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice. Now, this week, we are recapping Season 1, Episode 17, The Maze. Per IMDb, a group of young punks kill a cop and then take hostages, including an undercover Tubbs, while negotiators try to end the situation without more bloodshed and a SWAT team closes in. And we do start this episode with some looks. As you can see, as always, you can always see the gallery. I've actually made it easier. I made a link tree. Also, because I'm not the brightest bulb in the shed, I decided to change my DNS settings on my website. So it's very hard. Half the time, I can't even see my own website. So while that is getting fixed, please feel free to pop in and see the gallery on my link tree that you can see on the Vice and Easy podcast Instagram. Because there is a very beautiful woman in a fake white fur stole, and you can kind of see our characters that we're dealing with today. Because not just Crockett and Tops, they're also hanging out with two other cops. One a little bit more quiet, the other, surprise, surprise, a little bit more aggro. Either you connect me to the source or I start playing high lie with your head. Nice guy, huh? <laughs> so the guy takes off like a bat out of hell. But I, but I nailed the guy. I mean, I well, grabbed and threw him into the uh, Look, don't easy. Don't easy. Easy. Okay, okay. Hey, easy. You ever hear the Miranda act or is that just another Latin dancer to you? Hey, And so keep in mind, he's pinning his own partner against the wall and getting really rough with his own partner to retell the story of when he got rough with another guy. So you can already tell where this is going. I am not surprising anybody in the least. Message! (laughs) I forgot I had that. And so they're kind of talking about how they were able to clean up the area and Tubbs and Crockett are very much reminding him that it was a grassroots initiative, that the community actually did a lot of work and the agro cop is kind of not believing he's on the other side, not believing that people actually want to improve their standard of life, that they need police intervention to do so. So you can already see kind of them butting heads. Another thing that is very important, which I'll talk on more about Ice-T, the newspaper that you could see in the frame says that Doug Flutie has just signed with the United States Football League. And I'll talk more about that in Vice-T because it's a very important, very important figure for Canadians. So as they're talking about the area becoming safer, they hear glass smashing. And this area is kind of like the jeweler's area. Every part of town, every kind of city has one where it's kind of like where all the jewelers have their shops. So a break-in is not really that surprising. So they go run after the noise. So agrocop... um, I forget what his name is. It's something that's kind of French, but it's not like Detarde. I'm sorry. I also don't know what it is. I forgot, like, everybody's name in this episode. So I wrote them down, but... <laughs> Master recapist, this one. Uh, some guy in a shirt is running over a sound. So I will make sure that at least this podcast is very entertaining, if not logically correct. So they're running towards the noise. Agrocop, smaller cop, are running towards the noise. These kids are roughing up a store owner. They all have guns they start to fire. One kid pulls out what looks to be a shotgun, shoots the smaller cop. Agro guy keeps running. Crockett and Tubbs are also in hot pursuit. Two of the kids are able to jump onto their getaway car, which is like this big lifted truck. Keep firing, and Crockett pursues one into like the arcade. And when I mean arcade, I don't mean fun arcade. I mean like an arcade, like a little row of shops. 
shootout happens. I will say I did take a couple pictures and gifts. Not only am I going to explain to you guys what traveler's checks are, there was um, a couple really good shots just kind of playing with the mirrors because obviously they are in the jewelry district. So there's lots of mirrors to showcase the jewels. And I do think that was kind of a good place to have this cat and mouse game. Um, so unfortunately, AgroCop's partner has died. And now these kids just killed a cop and they're on the run. After the intro, the one thing that struck out to me was Adolfo Quinones in bracket Shabadoo. I'll talk more about him later. He's actually a very talented, very charming guy with a very rich history. So I think he does deserve a little bit of recognition. But that was my takeaway from the uh, credits. I was like, wait, what? Because I knew that Garcel Beauvais was in this. I knew Ving Rames was in this. And I was like, oh, that Shabadoo just kind of came at me. Like, I just thought of, you know, Joey, Joey, Jojo Shabadoo from The Simpsons. And so speaking of AgroCop, guess who is at the precinct and who's already causing a problem for everybody? That turkey's responsible for the death of a good cop. We gotta let him just sit out there as if nothing happened. I filed my report, that's all I can do. Then Tubbs walks in, in a very 1970s New York outfit. He has a hot pink silk shirt underneath with a black and white pinstripe suit. It suits him very well. I actually really like this because I kind of noticed that Tubbs gets put into subdued colors, which I don't really understand. And the past couple episodes, they've really been putting a lot more color on him. So kudos to the wardrobe. Does these jewel tones really do work with him? So I'm very happy that they kind of took that direction within the wardrobe department. Also, Trudy also looks great. She can always pull off anything, but she's wearing two different types of prints, which, as I spoke with in the last episode, is something I very much admire in a woman, something that I cannot pull off. And so, obviously, the case at hand. Oh, also, AgroCop's name is Duria. It's very not smooth off the tongue. I do not know the background of that last name. His name is Tim Duria, so I'll keep that in mind. They all have to work together. They know who these kids are. They were known as kind of these, like, punks that would do small, small-time robberies, you know? Not armed robberies. Or, I guess, theft. There's a difference between robbery and theft. And... Now that they've upgraded to guns, not only good guns, automated guns and killing a cop, it is all over for them. They're no longer just punks on the street. So Crockett's going to go around town and try to shake down some shady people he knows for some information. Took a couple pictures. Him trying to slip the money to the shopkeeper. Him roughing up a kid on roller skates. (laughs) Finally, speaking of Shabadoo... They go to this beautiful nightclub with pink. It doesn't look like glass blocks, but it looks like pink tiling that's backlit. And everybody looks very 80s, very dated. The most 80s looking of all is Pepe, who is wearing a coral cutoff suit. So the jacket of the suit shows up. It's kind of like a crop top, like it shows off with a shark tooth necklace and black and white Oxford dress shoes. He looks very appropriate for the time. He looks great. And he's a very talented dancer. I tried to take a couple of gifts of him dancing because he was moving so fast that I wasn't able to take a still photo. He is incredibly talented. So his talent is very evident in this. This is the reason why he was cast in this role. So Pepe actually has a very good reason for not wanting to talk to him at this exact time. Not now, man. My feet are on fire. Oh, we can fix that. Hey, man. These are my dress shoes. How the Escobars buy your new pants? <laughs> and 
And so as they're digging for a little bit more information about the Escobars, Pepe just kind of brushes it off. Like, hey, what do you want with those punks anyway? Like, he doesn't really do business with them. And basically won't really give up any information. Crockett and Tubbs have to follow him to the bathroom, and he is very easy to spot. So the bathroom tile is kind of like a curved, wavy, black and white pattern, and you can see his white and black dress shoes. So I think that's a great picture that I put up on the gallery. Try to get a little bit for more information. And that's when they do start to get it out of him, that they're no longer punks. They're cop killers. They've graduated. They're not just, you know snatching purses. They're doing armed robbery, which is a very different charge. And so finally, they're able to pull a little bit more information from Pepe. He says the Escobars are holed up at this place called, quote unquote, the maze, that it's impossible to get through. They'll need a whole army to get in and to get through and traverse this labyrinth. Hmm. In some surprisingly quick detective work, they're able to find the exact address of this building. 7212 San Domingo. In real life, it's actually on a residential street in Coral Gables, which is kind of like a fancy suburb of Miami. But in this episode, it's like an abandoned hotel right on the waterfront. And there are some beautiful shots with like the sunrise, the sunset against this dilapidated building backdrop. Um, So Zito and Switek are able to get the info that this is the address, this is the known owner, they go pay this owner a visit. His office for being a shady businessman in Miami, I gave it a 2 out of 10 because very gray, silver. There's only like a little bit of decor in there. I think that they really could have done better. I do like the light and the fancy phone for the time. And he dismisses Zito and Swideck. He doesn't even like really look at them. He waves them off until they pull out their badges. Vice. This must be a mistake. I pay people with green stuff, not white stuff. (laughs) That is a great line. I love that. I pay people in green stuff, not white stuff. However, they want the blueprints from him, and they're able to get them. So back at the precinct, they have a chalk outline of the blueprint trying to figure out how what's the best way to enter the building without causing any bloodshed they assume there are going to be squatters in there just because it is a large abandoned building they want to make it as safe as a mission as possible to retrieve the escobars surprise surprise guess who's not really considerate of anyone else in this plan what about the squatters kick the door down tell them to duck Ladies and gentlemen, this year's Nobel Peace Prize goes to Tim Durier. Excuse me, Crockett, but these punks gunned down my partner. You want to sit this one out, detective? No, sir. And my apologies to the super aggro cop. I have mispronounced her name. It is Tim Durier, not Duria. Um, that's how it was spelled on the IMDb. It ended with an A, so I spend it and not be French, but who knows? All right, I'm I'm the incorrect one, not them. And then Castillo, after pressing back a little bit, thankfully, wants to send someone in undercover with the squatters who, quote unquote, can speak their language. I don't know what he means by that. They decide on Tubbs. And Tubbs at this time is sketching a woman's face. I wonder if it's Valerie. It doesn't look like Valerie. But I wonder, you know, that's the romantic in me. 
So, guess who's going undercover? So, Tubbs is basically going undercover as, I don't want to say this, but he's a bum with a guitar. And he's going to go into the building, be one of the squatters, try to get a little bit more recon, hopefully try to get them out of the situation so they can go in and apprehend the Escobars. Tubbs gets there kicks in this wooden panel door. It's not like a full door. It's kind of just like a makeshift. Looks like the bottom of a pallet. Kicks it in, gets in there, traverses his way up the stairs, sees a giant rat. I took a couple pictures. You can see how dilapidated it really was inside. I'm sure the filming conditions smelled awful in there. He finally kind of finds a place within the building and he sees another guy. This guy is not having any of it. Go away. I just pulled in from the island yesterday, man. I got no place. You're not welcome here. But this is a big place, man. Please. And I will point out that the guy is by himself who's telling Tubbs to leave. It's not like he's with his family. So Tubbs still doesn't know the location of all the squatters or where they are in the building. I guess who's getting a little frustrated as to how long it's taking. To be fair, it's honestly been like three minutes and like I know that they elapse time a little bit more in the alternate universe that is television but like my my god this also before cell phones you can't just drop your pin so so surprise surprise guess who tries to run into the building like a maniac screaming thereby causing all the SWAT or a big majority of the SWAT team to follow in suit then the SWAT team decides to enter into the maze Tubbs is not having it either. Okay, you guys are blowing my cover. What the hell are you doing here? Back off, these people die! Well, they found where the squatters are, but now the squatters are hostages, thanks to Tim Durier. Casillo and Crockett are not happy that they have to keep working with this guy. And luckily, Crockett's a little bit of good news. The SWAT captain, I don't know if that's the proper term, the SWAT captain, the guy who's leading SWAT, he's leading the investigation, he's leading the mission here. And he comes in to talk to Crockett to ask him a little bit about Tubbs, what Tubbs is used to in these high pressure situations, does he have a gun on him? Guess who has to interject one more time? He knows how to handle himself. Oh yeah, well, I'm glad somebody does. I just thought Tubbs wanted to run into some sort of trouble, that's all. You were hot dog. Hey listen, Crockett, they already killed my partner. I just didn't want to lose yours. Could have fooled me, pal. If I didn't need every available body, I'd send you home, detective. As it is, I don't want you to make any more decisions. And don't leave this room till the final assault. Thank you, Castillo, for coming in clutch when we need you to. Now, they still don't know the exact location of the squatters, even though Vice did interact with the Escobars who are holding them hostage. They're still kind of working on that. And we do get a little shot of baby-faced Garcelle Beauvais. I'm going to talk about her more in Vice D because she's led a very interesting life. And I'm watching her on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills now. And she's still amazingly beautiful, almost 40 years later. So kudos. And after that hot-headed situation, Crockett not only needs a smoke, he has to go outside for a smoke. And this really perplexed me when I first watched this episode because my notes were like, what? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Crockett smokes 
everywhere. He smokes when he's shaving. He smokes in his bed. He smokes in other people's beds. He smokes at work. But I was like, oh yeah, he's stuck in the same room as Durye. And something, something's amiss because why would Crockett need to go for a cigarette outside? <laughs> Castillo comes down and joins him and they have a good heart to heart about tubs in this next clip. I'm worried about tubs. Everything's under control for the time being. Davis seems like a good man. He is. He has a lot of experience. He's gonna need it with these kids. They've grown up running the streets thinking they're indestructible, thinking they can get away with murder. And you know what? So far they have. They stopped being kids when they started using guns. Quote, and so far they have. Yeah, because right now they have all the power in this situation and Crockett is feeling really helpless. But Castillo gives Crockett some sage words of wisdom. Just wish there was something I could do for Tubbs. There is. Yeah, I know, I know. Stay cool. Or basically just don't do do the opposite of what Agro Tim Duray does, basically. <laughs> and now we're back in the maze. I do want to also uh, give the Escobars a fashion credit because one of them did make my best dressed. They do look very apropos of the time of like stylish punks. And I really like their outfits. One is in like a dual crop top and he's the younger baby faced one that really likes Garcelle. The other aggro one, similar to Tim Durier, is wearing a silver and black or it could be like a purple, like a metallic purple and black um, patterned blouse. My personal favorite best dressed is wearing a blue, green, black, white striped shirt with a white and silver belt with the gun hanging right in the front and leather pants. And there's another one who has a white leather cutoff jacket, which is something that I also used to own. So it kind of like made me laugh. I was like, oh, <laughs> samesies. And then the Escobars are asking the squatters. I'm sorry, I don't like using that term. I just can't think of anything else to call them. Um, they're asking the families. So Garcelle's family and then the family of the guy that told Tubbs to beat it why they're fighting over the same space when this building has so many rooms and so many places to go. Garcelle's family basically pops in that they were there first. And her older brother is also Ving Rhames. So that's a very star-studded family we got over here. The other family argues back that they were there first, blah, blah, blah. And it could be a number of things. Maybe there's... Um, it's a little bit cooler in that room against the Miami heat. Maybe there's a, like a water source. Who knows? But yeah, it is very hard because everybody is fractured the hostages are fractured against each other, and then they are also being taken hostage by another group. So basically, you have this, there's no one to really, there's no cohesion. And unfortunately, this discontent and this anger kind of pops up more and more. So the younger crop-topped one, I forget all their names, I will remember them as this goes on, but the younger crop-topped one has a crush on Garcelle, naturally. However, the aggro one, in the purple silk shirt notices this and then starts getting a little bit handsy with her. Basically, you can kind of foreshadow where this is going. Ving Rames, however, is her brother and is not going to stand for any of that. Gets right in this guy's face, tries to get at him. Tubbs has to calm him down and basically like warn him that he will 
kill his sister if he gets too aggro with him. He takes Garcelle to another room. It's really icky. Basically says that they both don't exist, that nobody will care. What you're going to do is scream that nothing will change. Ving Rhames finally goes to attack him. They shoot him. The hostage negotiators hear this as well. They drag Ving Rhames' body out to the street. Then the negotiator talks to the Escobars, and the Escobars obviously are way in over their head. Now they've already killed a cop. Now they've already killed a hostage. It's not looking too good. But again, this hostage negotiator... Wow. Hostage negotiator Davis is very cool, calm, and collected. He attacked one of my men! We killed him in self-defense! I believe you! Let's pack it in now before it gets any worse! Let's not! We want some food for these kids! Okay! I got a better idea! You give us the kids and we'll feed them! No way, man! The chopper will be here in half an hour! What difference could it make? I don't have to bother with you, man! Talk to me, Escobar! Oh, man. So basically, the... I want to say the ringleader in the blue shirt, the blue striped shirt, is getting way in over his head. He's getting really hot-headed. He's really sick of the kids. So, luckily, later on, they let the kids go. However, I took a gif of this because... The vans come in so hot, and I know that they're trying to make sure, like, you know, they, they get the kids ASAP. But I was like, I don't know if I would go that speed if I was about to rescue children that have just been held hostage. And I forgot to mention this. So Tubbs does talk to Ving Rames and ask him, like, hey, like, what's going on? Like, why are you here? Like, is there not work? Basically, Ving Rames states that there's a lot of work. Lots of work, but no card, which I think means green card. So I think it's probably just hard for them to get up off of their feet. Or, you know, it's hard to rent an apartment when you don't have an apartment to have as your prior reference. You know, it's much easier to get a job when you already have a job. If you don't have proof of utility, if you don't have any mail coming to an address, it's very hard to get even like a driver's license or anything. So unfortunately, it's a very sad cycle. And Tubbs is still there. Unfortunately, one of the families who already suffered the loss with Ving Rames, the mom keeps crying and crying and crying, obviously just having lost her son, her daughter almost raped in front of her, and currently being held hostage. So the other family, the one that they are continually fighting with, the mom hands over her baby to her to kind of coddle, which I thought was sweet. And then we're back at the precinct. Crockett. Once again, making a valid point, guess who's not? A pinpoint exactly where they're keeping the hostages. Hostages are what got us into this fix. We'll lure them to the roof. With what? With a helicopter. I am so over this Tim Dury character. As if it's not evident, I cannot stand this guy. However, I really like the hostage negotiator. Um, I do also appreciate the quick thinking and that's why I could never be a hostage negotiator because I stumble not only over my words a lot I just don't know if I could be able to be such a quick problem solver my boss is also a very quick problem solver and just always has an answer ready I'm just like how, how do you do that you know it just takes me an extra step 
to get to point A from like from point B, but yeah, so I could never do that. So I'm just very impressed with all his quick thinking. Like, yeah, get them up to the roof. You're getting them so they're they're visible, and you can have the SWAT team surround the roof. Very smart. And now back to the hostages. Unfortunately, they're tying Tubbs up to a chair, while Garcelle is crying and wailing on the mattress. Naturally, having her brother just been shot in front of her after almost being raped, after being held hostage with her family. Yeah, I can understand this girl's having a horrible, horrible, horrible day, if not the worst day of her life. And the one who's watching Tubbs and Garcelle is the kid, the kid in the crop top. So Tubbs is able to get on his level and try to appeal to him in this next clip. Don't you have family down here? So? You can't come back. You'd be a criminal down here, man. Tied into that murder. I didn't kill nobody. You'd be part of a conspiracy, man. I didn't kill nobody, get that, man? Just from the visuals, this kid looks like maybe to be 14, 15. So I think Tubbs is trying to appeal to him because he seems like he obviously is in way over his head. This wasn't his idea. You know, he's just going along with his older brothers or his older cousins. And there's a chance that he could save this kid. And I know um, as a juvenile, you know, he won't be facing the same jail time that I'm assuming his over 18 brothers or cousins will be facing. And speaking of Cruft Tough and Tubbs, that's going to be my new little like partner name for them. The rest of the hostages are on the move. The Escobars are moving them to a different location. Tubbs, I might note, is not actually tied up sitting upright on this chair. He's up, he's tied up in this chair and they pushed him onto his back. So he really can't do anything. However, he's smart. He's going to figure a way out of this. But now Crockett is coming in through a different side entrance. Kind of just looks like a little hole in the wall by the stairs. And he has his earpiece in so we can radio in to the precinct to SWAT and to Vice and let them know exactly where the hostages are as SWAT is coming through a different entrance of the building. So while this is all going on, while Crockett and SWAT are trying to pinpoint where the hostages are, Tubbs comes up with a very smart idea. Remember, he has a gun on his ankle. He is on his back, tied up in a chair. His hands are tied together by his wrist and his feet are tied to the chair. So how can he get this kid close enough? He has a very smart idea. I don't wanna die with an itch. Crazy. Please. Very smart work by Tubbs, I might add. So again, all the other hostages have been moved and they're not ready to go up to the roof yet. They're in another room there. You can see the window, but they're not moving up to the roof until they get that helicopter. Then back to Tubbs. Tubbs pulls the gun on this kid. The kid has dropped his gun. The other kid in the white leather vest pops out of nowhere and shoots at Tubbs. Tubbs shoots back. Kid's killed. And however, I will strongly note, Tubbs is pissed and he says, damn. So he didn't want to kill this kid. 
but however he was being shot at. So just something to keep in mind as the episode progresses to how to contrast the behavior between hothead like Durye and a good cop like Tubbs or Crockett. And now in a very interesting sentence, I never thought I'd say aloud, let's check in with the hostages. So they're still being held hostage. It's the two brothers. It's the purple silk shirt because the one in the white leather vest has been shot and the blue striped shirt. They're both freaking out. They're both on the move. They don't know what to do if they're in way over their head and they still don't want to go to the roof until the helicopter's there. However, purple silk shirt decides to go off a little bit rogue on his own. We'll come back to that later. And now on the other side of the maze, Tubbs and the crop top kid are moving out. They see Zito and Switek. Guess who bust in, gun loaded and cocked, pointing at this 14-year-old kid. Surprise, surprise, Tim Durier. And finally, Tubbs is able to cut him down to size properly. Switek, take the kid. You're trigger happy, man. You don't deserve to be a cop. Let's go. And so back to the other side of the maze where the hostages are. I told you that lone Escobar brother is kind of sneaking up the stairs, kind of going off on his own. Runs into Crockett. This kid pulls an Uzi on Crockett. Crockett shoots him. So now we are down two Escobars. We have two left. Last guy's freaking out. He takes Garcelle hostage, pulls her up to the roof, pulls her up to the middle with the gun. SWAT team, Crockett and Tubbs, everyone's up there. Kid knows he's in way over his head. And finally. I'm sorry. Crockett and Tubbs handcuff him, escort him out. Garcelle, safely with the SWAT team, my favorite one, aside from Davis, the one with the excellent mustache and kind of a mullet. Crockett and Tubbs on the roof, silent, look at each other. End of the episode. Woo! And while... I had a little bit of trouble keeping track of the names. I could just, honestly, I don't even think that their names are mentioned more than once in this episode. I think only one of them has their name mentioned. So I don't feel that bad for not being able to keep track of them. (laughs) Also, like you guys said on the Reddit, you want less recap and more gossip. So let's get right into it. Uh, let's start with our beautiful Garcelle Beauvais. Uh, Garcelle is actually originally from Haiti, and you'll know her from Coming to America, from the Jamie Foxx show. Currently now, she's on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. She's an incredibly beautiful woman who has aged into such a beautiful woman. Her face is still the same, but her confidence and the way she carries herself. A lot of women, especially with former models, if they don't look exactly the way they did when they're younger, they just don't feel the same and they're trying to recapture their youth. It doesn't even look like Garcella's had work done. If she has, it is so minimal. I would love to know her aging secrets. However, what baffles me is that a woman this beautiful got cheated on by her ex-husband, former, or I guess current, I guess he's still a CAA agent, Mike Nylon. I'll, I'll post a picture of them together. 
In the nicest way, I'll say that beauty is not a complete, absolute, preventative way to not get cheated on. That no matter how beautiful you are, someone can still cheat on you. And I mean this, whether or not, despite how you identify, nothing is guaranteed in life. When I see a woman like Garcelle getting cheated on, he had a mistress for five years, too. This wasn't a one-time thing. Five years. So what she did, which I actually kind of love, I would never do this, she sent an email to the entire CAA team, and I believe her friends, saying, what do Tiger Woods, Jesse James, and Mike Nylon have in common? And outed his cheating. And good for her, number one. I'm just so impressed with that. That's so messy and just so confident. Like, yes, how dare you disrespect me like this? I'm going to call you out. I'm going to let everybody know your business. You don't want to regard our relationship at all. I am going to go after you. And I love that. I love her for that. I could never do that, but I love her for that. The only other gossip I have, so she never really actually confirmed whether or not she hooked up with Jamie Foxx. This is not the first time I've heard this rumor that Jamie Foxx I will also warn you again, this is a spicy content warning. Please take your children or your parents out of the room or pause this if you're driving. Jamie Foxx has the biggest member she has ever seen. This is not the first time I've heard it. I've heard there are pictures available on the internet. I was listening to a podcaster who has these pictures saved on his phone. (laughs) So good for Katie Holmes. Leave it Tom Cruise going after his collateral co-star. Oh, whoops. Oh, I dropped my monster condom that I used for my magnum dong. <laughs> I for, oh my God, I quote that all the time. So I'm so glad that I have a clip of that now for this show. Even though I try to keep it clean and not get the explicit label, I'm definitely going to have that on a few times because there's another person who is rumored to also have a monster dong but that doesn't come until season three so gotta wait a little bit more to get the tea on that one why not do it by subscribing weekly hey hey and now dong talk aside garcelle was also credited but was cut out of give a little take a little she was supposed to be a server working at the nightclub her credit was still there which is kind of interesting because nancy valen who the save with the bell hot nurse she had a speaking role but she was uncredited so i know a little bit about how that works like in order to get your sidecar blah 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 so i was just a little bit curious but obviously michael mann as everyone can see had a crush on her. Like, who doesn't? I do, too. Uh, she's also in Manhunter. So keep an eye on, for, keep an eye out for her in that as well. Ving Rhames, no vice tea or nothing spicy there. Thankfully, all around good guy. I learned that he was a voice on Lilo and Stitch. So that was kind of cool. Because obviously, like, we know him for, like, Pulp Fiction and, like, kind of tougher roles. So Lilo and Stitch, super cool. That's awesome. And another familiar face... Davis, the hostage negotiator, the SWAT leader, he was also Miles Tyson in Terminator 2. So that was a fun fact. Now let's get back to my favorite name, Adolfo Shabadu Quinones. So he's actually a big time choreographer. He looked a little bit familiar, so I hadn't really seen him in a lot of movies, but I kind of like had seen him around. Turns out that he did choreograph Three Six Mafia. So when they won the Oscar, he was the one, I believe he was on stage accepting with them. He also choreographed uh, the All Night Long video by Nalana Richie. He's worked with Madonna. He's had like a super cool 
life with street dancing. And he was actually kind of against the fact that the Olympics are going to have street dancing as a sport because it's very much an activity that is so about soul and love and style and freedom. And it's kind of hard to categorize that. So he actually has a very interesting history. He passed in December 2020, if you want to read a little bit more about him. Seems like overall, really cool guy. And a little funny coincidence I found. So J.O. Sanders, Tim Durier, the, my least favorite, and Alex Pais, who played the Escobar brother with the purple and silver silk shirt, they both voiced characters on Red Dead Redemption and Red Dead Redemption 2, which I thought was funny. So it's a very little like Miami Vice world. And then Jay was also on Crime Story. All right, now let's change things up a bit. So best dressed. This week is a little bit weird because again, they weren't doing a lot of costume changes because of the situation at hand. I didn't pick crocodile tops. I actually picked, naturally, no surprise to anybody, Pepe with the coral suit, the shark tooth necklace, and the black and white Oxfords. And if you don't know about what outfits I'm talking about, I've made it super easy for you. You can just go to my Instagram, at Vice and Easy Podcast, go to my link tree, and go down to the Vice and Easy Podcast Gallery. You can see all the outfits there, and I try to organize, have all my best dressed as my first picture. So you can really kind of get what you came for. Second best dressed. Again, I'm going to give this to a secondary character. I'm not giving this to Crockett or Tubbs. However, they both looked great. I really enjoyed Crockett's in the differing shades of blue. I think he really works well with that like royal sapphire blue and the light blue pants make his butt look very good. But sorry, Crockett. Don't hold a candle to the Escobar. The Escobar with the leather pants and the blue green striped shirt and the hair and just like a little bit unbuttoned. I really appreciated that. Tubbs, I really loved him in that hot pink, and I hope it's a color we see more of him in because he looks great in it. It really brings out his eyes, really brings out his smile and everything. Best dressed woman, naturally, going to go to Trudy. Just the two different prints. She just always looks so effortless and flawless, and I really love her style. Also, she looks just very comfortable for the Miami Heat. And now let's segue into a light, easy-hearted topic. Hostage negotiation. (laughs) So now my knowledge is limited and I'm coming at this from an American perspective. I do not know what happens with other countries. And a lot of this I've just gained from television, movies, Google, and of course the Simpsons episode where Marge tries to order those weight loss tapes and they're sold out. So it's either hostage negotiation or vocabulary builder. So she gets them the vocabulary builder and nobody can understand what he's saying. And so when I was looking into this, my question was like, people have all these crazy demands. You know, I want a helicopter. I want a private jet. I want to go to the Bahamas. I want millions of dollars. And yet that doesn't always happen. But it turns out in many cases, secret deals are made that are kept under wraps between the government. I don't know what level it's at. It could be municipal like Miami-Dade. It could be state, Florida. It could be federal, United States, depending on the level of crime and the level of law enforcement involved. Secret deals are made quite often, but they're very much kept in the download because they want to preserve the image of not giving it to demands. I know the United States very much we have the edict of not negotiating with terrorists because we don't want to look like we're quote unquote soft or caving into demands. So it's a very slippery slope. And what, not at all comparing this to working in a bar, but it 
is a little bit interesting that the stall tactic of always having to have a superior. So the hostage negotiator always has to go back, ask someone, or just if you're working in a bar or restaurant, go to the back, pretend to ask somebody, come out and still say no. And use it as a stall tactic. So similar to when you're at a car dealership, you know, you want to keep the person stalled. Are they going to change their mind? Are they going to relinquish some of their demands? Similar to how Davis in this episode was asking for them to take the children as opposed to giving food for the children because they're trying to get the hostages out one by one and they're trying to defuse any more violence by taking the kids out of that situation. And it was only when the hostage takers became so sick of the kids crying that they actually gave into that demand without either of them looking like they had lost face. So it's very much a touch and go in a game of chess. It is not something at all that I am skilled for. Like I said, I have trouble stumbling over my words on this podcast that I make in the comfort of my closet bathroom. I do not know how I could power, I could power through scary, high-pressure terrorists, situation. So I know my strengths and that is not it. But it's funny, Harvard Law does offer a program on negotiation, Um, not just hostage negotiation, but just negotiation in general. And it is very interesting that the these are tools that we will learn and that we will use in everyday situations in life. So maybe it is kind of looking something to look into, just, you know, how to be more persuasive or how to meet with someone at their level, how to keep your cool. I think that would be mine. It's just being able to keep my cool and not take things personally. So there are skills to be learned with everything, but I think hostage negotiation is a very interesting one at that. And as we wrap up this episode recap, let's touch on music because guess who is included? So that song that Tubbs is singing is actually called Live in the Book of My Life. So that came off of his album. And I hate saying this, but his first single was just the way I planned it. The video is incredibly cringy. Please go check it out on YouTube. Growing up in Canada, every year we had this music video recap called Fromage, which is French for cheese. So it was just like the worst videos. And one of the music v- VJs for Much Music, his name was Ed Sock, would kind of go and make fun of everybody. So for the year 1999, for 2000, he had every video of all time. Guess what was the worst video of all time, in his opinion? Philip Michael Thomas is just the way I played it. And <laughs> it is really bad, but he was like so harsh because this was again after Philip Michael Thomas, he hadn't even done GTA Vice City yet. Like he had been, he was very much washed up at the time. And I'm sorry if you're listening to this, Philip. And he had that whole scandal with California Psychics, which is going to be its own episode. I'm actually working on that. I'm working on like some Vice T singular episodes to drop if um, my life gets out of whack. So I'm working on that. Basically, he was involved with California Psychics, um, going by a different name, working with Miss Cleo, of all people. So he just had a, did not have a good rep at the time of filming in 1989. And unfortunately, yeah, just the way I planned it, that's my first foray to Philip Michael Thomas, my advice, was hearing this and watching this video. So this song seems much better. It's the song that he's singing as he's walking into the building. And the first song, when they're at the club, talking with Pepe, that's Renegades of Funk by Africa Bambata. And then the Tea in the Sahara by the police was what we heard uh, Garcelle and Crop Top Swing to. And I have all their names here now that I'm looking this up, but I'm sorry I didn't memorize them for this episode. I tried. I tried writing down their names that I couldn't remember. And I watched the episode three times. So... (laughs) It was a fun episode, great guest stars, and 
Oh my god, I forgot my main my main vice tea. I had all these notes. Oh my god, sorry, I totally skipped over it. Doug Flutie. So remember how I kept mentioning as a Canadian, Doug Flutie is very important to us. So he's actually not Canadian by birth or by heritage. He, if you remember from the 80s, he won a Heisman when he was playing at Boston College. Well-known, very popular college football player. He was drafted into the United States Football League, playing for the New Jersey Generals. However, his NFL, his professional football career didn't really take off. So he decided to go up north. And I will make this well known. The CFL is not known for paying for paying their players well. A lot of the players have side jobs. A lot of them are personal trainers. I knew one that worked at a bank. Um, or they kind of tried to get um, licensing deals or promotional deals within their region. Smaller regions in Canada, such as... Um, like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, there's no other professional team there. So it's much easier for players in a smaller market to get more deals as opposed to you know, trying to play in Toronto where you have the Raptors, you have the Blue Jays. It's a lot tougher. But speaking of Doug Flutie, not only did he play for Toronto, he played with the Argonauts and he also played with the Calgary Stampeders. So he actually won three Grey Cups, which is the equivalent of your Super Bowl in the States. And in all three of his Grey Cup wins, he was named the Grey Cup MVP. And he was also named the CFL's most outstanding player. And at the time, he was the CFL's highest paid player. His salary was, wait for it, wait for it, one million Canadian dollars. <laughs> and I know that sounds comical. It sounds comical to me as well, but this is a very big deal that he was able to break these records. And it is just a very nice story of someone being underappreciated at home and then being a hero somewhere else. So, oh my God, why? <laughs> there is a really good 30 for 30 about him that is also very emotional of just how he's over to overcome, you know, to go from a Heisman winner to being benched and benched over again in the United States and then to go to Canada and to become a hero and to change the game and to bring interest to the CFL. Like, growing up in Toronto, the CFL was never really a thing for me. Like, I'd heard Doug Flutie's name, but it wasn't really like, oh, let's go to the Argonauts. We have the Raptors, we have the Blue Jays. So especially, it was really cool that he was able to do this and he was able to bring so much momentum. Then he went to Buffalo and he brought Buffalo to the playoffs. Of course, they didn't make it because single-tier Buffalo. So... I just really commend Doug Flutie. And this is just kind of a reminder, like if go where you're appreciated, go where you're wanted, whether it be in relationships, whether it be at work, don't settle for less. Like you just might have clashing skill sets. It doesn't mean that you're bad for a job or bad for this. Some try something different, go elsewhere and see maybe it is you, but at least give it a couple of tries. Go where you're wanted. So and with that, I leave you. I think that's a great energy to put onto the world. Go where you're wanted as I'm on the verge of tears in my closet bathroom. Again, I want to thank you all. Hopefully, I'm going where I'm wanted, and you guys are all liking and subscribing. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can subscribe on Spotify. It really does make a difference. It really does put my name out there. It is very hard to get the Google SEO to recognize my podcast, the Miami Vice podcast, so I have to do a lot of work and a lot of SEO work to get in there. So any like, any share, all the good comments... I really appreciate. As always, you can find me. New episodes drop every Friday on Spotify and YouTube. You can also find me on social media at Vice and Easy Podcast on TikTok and Instagram. And from there, you can explore a whole world of possibilities with all my media at the Vice and Easy Podcast Gallery. Thank you so much, guys. 
for listening, subscribing, liking, and I'll see you next Friday. And don't forget. Hey, man, Miami Wise is number one new show.